0: The following program is brought to you by me, Dave. And it does not express or necessarily express the thoughts and views of this radio station, AM 1240 WGBB Freeport and AM 1240 WGBB.com. It's a show called Dave's Gone By. Give it a listen. Tropical hot dog
1: night. Like two flamingos in a fruit fight. every color of day.
0: Around it, there goes the neighborhood. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Dave's Gone By. Brought to you by Total Theater, the Tondora Grill, Hewlett Minuteman Press, and Quiznos of Hewlett on this Thursday, August 12th, 2004. Hope you're having a fine summer. Hope you've been disregarding the four-year-old terror warnings and the helicopter threats and the truck bombs and the imminent catastrophe the administration is trying to convince us will happen if they don't get back in office. I love the fact that there's cops in battle gear with machine guns all over major buildings in New York City, as if that would actually stop a terrorist incident. I mean, it's great. I'm sure crime is at its lowest level since 1923. After all, who's going to rob a Dwayne Reed if there's three army men outside in flak jackets with AK-47s, right? But at the same time, if someone wants to rig a helicopter with 6,000 Molotov cocktails and sail it into the window of the Times Square Red Lobster, what do we expect some 18-year-old schmuck with a rifle can do about that? If he fires at the chopper, it just explodes anyway. And if the bomb smashes into its target, what is the soldier going to do that everybody else isn't doing? Running away or crawling away looking for his legs? I think the funny part is that among the ancient information the Bush administration has dug up for its latest code orange is one warning, besides the helicopters, besides Wall Street and the waterways, duh, has to do with a financial building in New Jersey. Why would a terrorist come to New Jersey? Why would anyone come to New Jersey? No, but seriously, every time you put on the local news, I mean, almost every single day, the first or second story is about a fire. And once in a blue moon, it's coming from the Bronx, but nine times out of ten, there's some chemical fire or some factory exploded. Where? Of course, New Jersey. If terrorists were to blow up a building in New Jersey, no one would notice. Firemen would be confused. They'd be like, wait, is this the fire we were responding to, or is that three streets away from the coordinates we were given? And residents would be like, Matthew, there's thick black smoke coming from Newark. Is that the same thick black smoke we had yesterday? No, hon, that was the thick black smoke from Passaic. That one smelled like sulfur. This one smells like gasoline. if a bomb hit New Jersey... It would take investigators a month just to label it a terrorist attack. It would would simply be suspicious fire number 6,423. In order for anybody to take it seriously, some Arab would have to stand outside the bombed building waving a Palestinian flag and yelling, Well, we would have blown up the Chrysler building, but there was too much traffic on the Jersey Turnpike, so we just stayed local. Meanwhile, American forces are pounding the crap out of Iraq, trying to put down the insurgents, and as of this writing, there have been 931 American casualties in Iraq, 3,400 wounded, that is, both seriously wounded and not, the casualties are serious, they're on permanent R&R, and, sick as it sounds, as much as nobody wants any American serviceman to die, you've got to figure, every time that casualty number goes up, the Democrats get a little frisson, a little extra boost of self-righteousness, because the higher that number goes, the more ammunition they have against the president. There are two weeks to the Republican convention, and it's unlikely, God willing, that 70 more American boys will die over there in that time. But you got to figure there are some Democrats, sick puppies, like me, I admit, who are thinking, if we could just get to a 1,000, such a round number. If we could hit Bush with a thousand dead just as he's taking the podium at Madison Square Garden, actually, I think it's more likely we'll pass the thousand mark in late September. Still pretty good timing to get those ads and editorials out there saying, a thousand lives for what? And of course, Bush and Cheney can turn around and say, You're calling this another Vietnam? Multiply a thousand by 58. And then we'll talk. And they would have a point. If we only lost a thousand men in Vietnam, we'd be like, well, it was a mistake, we should have left the communists to their own mess, but LBJ got us out of there before it became a real bloodbath. In fact, we should really encourage Johnson to run again, because that great society idea is fabulous. And instead of chanting, hey, hey, LBJ, how many kids did you kill today?, the college students would have been yelling, Johnson, Johnson, four more years, literacy, desegregation, protecting the environment, earns our cheers. Well, there's a reason I don't write slogans for people, but that would have cost them the election right there, that, that slogan, even if LBJ hadn't stepped down. But seriously, there is that ghoulish factor in all of this. The higher death count, the lower the count of Q rating. And it's the same with the economy. If you're a liberal or left-leaning centrist, didn't you just get a jolt of satisfaction when those job numbers, those growth numbers, came in last week? Bush was counting on a big boost in job creation to prove that his tax cuts have bolstered the corporate economy. Instead, both job growth and unemployment remained virtually unchanged. Not worse. Let's be fair. It is not like applications for benefits shot up, or payroll hemorrhage, like they did in early 2003. But compared to industry expectations, the 32,000 jobs figure was a major disappointment. But not to the Democrats, who can now be positively giddy that going into the convention, Bush has to sidestep the employment question rather than gloat over it. And it's just a shame the Democrats can't time travel 20 or 50 years from now and bring back evidence of Bush's policies on the future. Uh, A big digital video presentation at their 2054 convention. Here's what's left of Alaska. Remember what the tundra looked like before Halliburton started drilling in it? Remember fish? Remember when you used to breathe air without needing a surgically implanted purifier? Remember when Every second of your public life wasn't secretly videotaped and kept on file at the FBI? Remember when the corporate offices of Pepsi, Coke, Johnson & Johnson, and Pfizer weren't in Bangladesh? Remember when you could still hear a decent program or two on free radio? Well, that was before every single show invoked a separate pay-per-listen charge on satellite cable. Ah, the good old days of 2004, when... The Democrats still had a chance to take back the White House, and Dave's Gone By aired free every week on WGVB, AM 1240 in Freeport, and live streaming audio on the web at am1240wgvb.com. It didn't cost a thing, apart from 60 minutes of your time, and a test of your tolerance for bad puns, opinionated ramblings, and strange ideas, but hey. Look what you get in return. A full hour of silly talk, smart talk, special talk, and music, as we do here each Thursday on this program. And tonight is no different. For example, Inside Broadway, our weekly look at what's happening on the stages of New York, brought to this program courtesy of TotalTheater.com and their wonderful hard copy magazine, Performing Arts Insider. Tonight on Inside Broadway, we'll say happy birthday, Hairspray! and look at the funny side of the New York International Fringe Festival, which opens tomorrow. And later on in the program, it's Dave Goes Off, the segment where I get to rant and rave and complain about something. In this case, I could fill an hour just on this. The Long Island Railroad. You think I would let those threats of fare hikes and service cuts announced two weeks ago pass without comment? I think not. So stay tuned for that, and the weekly news gone by, and the birthday tribute to songwriter and guitarist Mark Knopfler, all that in this episode of Dave's Gone By, hosted by me, Dave Lefkowitz, radio personality, humorist, small fry, and gadfly, hosting this show since October 2002, when, then as now, we reminded listeners that the content of this radio event is rated DGB-13. Your kids can listen pretty much at any age, but don't blame us if one day they kill you in your sleep. But don't go to sleep yet. We're here till 8 o'clock with loony news, lyrical knoffler, and Long Island Railroad nastiness. It all starts with Inside Broadway right after this. On Friday nights I listen to Bonnie D. Graham On GBB at 6 o'clock, that's where I am She gives you lots of tips on romance and amour Like how to pick up guys without being a whore Then Saturday it's Mr. Redman's music show At 7.30 it's where new musicians go And then at night it's time for zany comedy Hosted by two young guys named Mikey and Jimmy GBB is the radio star 12.40 AM is where we are Games by on Thursday night Music and jokes with satirical bite also on Thursdays, if you're looking for some fun, at 6 o'clock, tune in to Larry Davidson. And then on Tuesday, if you're looking for light jazz, at 9 p.m., that's just what Mike Shamari has. And don't forget, on Sunday night, it's Joe Zone. for right-wing politics is really quite well-known. He's on at 7 with his own take on the news. And just like Dave, he does a bunch of interviews. D is the radio star. A.M.
1: So, so give them a try. They're almost as good as dead gone by. Jimmy B is the radio star. Jimmy B is the radio star. Jimmy B is the radio
0: star. Inside Broadway, brought to you by Total Theater's Performing Arts Insider, your everything theater guide. Most of the time on Inside Broadway, as the segment's title would suggest, we say Inside Broadway. I try to cover important off-Broadway shows, but there's very little time here, and I'd need an hour-long show every week just on theatre to throw off-off-Broadway into the mix. But now and then, it's good to remind everybody that while there are roughly 40 shows opening per year on Broadway, you'll often find 40 shows opening per week in tinier theaters all around New York. And when it's festival time, you need a calculator just to count them all. Case in point, the New York International Fringe Festival back for its eighth year at various venues in Lower Manhattan. More than 200 shows. Everything from solo performances, sketch comedy teams, wild satires, avant-garde dramas, and even full-fledged musicals. The budgets are generally low, but every show has its own different aesthetic, some obviously thrown together on spit and chewing gum, others developed for years by serious artists from around the globe. Shows that have emerged from previous fringe fests include You're In Town and Debbie Does Dallas, and a host of other productions that went on to longer runs and further development. I couldn't even begin to list all of this year's entries. But one of the most fun things to do is to go to their website, FringeNYC.org. That's FringeNewYorkCity.org and look for funny titles and interesting production art. After all, with 200 shows vying for your attention, the first thing a theater company can do to stand out is think of a weird or goofy hook. So, among the entries of the 8th Annual New York International Fringe Festival are... Granola, the musical, Laughing All the Way from the Sperm Bank, Daddy Was the Biggest Stage Mother in Texas, Black Martian, Odysseus Died from AIDS, Angry Young Teenage Girl Gang, Count Me In on that one, The Passion of George W. Bush, Die Die Diana, the musical, Irish Authors Held Hostage, and The Jammer, a roller derby love story. Now, which ones should you see and which should you skip? I can't tell you that. That's kind of the point of a massive fringe festival. You pay your money, and you take your chance. Of course, as the festival goes on, reviews come out, and you start getting a sense of which are the audience favorites and the hotter tickets. Then again, if you wait too long, the best shows could be sold out. So take the risk. That's part of a fringe festival's charm. That and the prices are kept way down. All tickets to all shows are $15, and you can get special Flexi Passes that let you see a bunch of shows at a discount. And they've even got a $500 Lunatic Pass, which, ironically, is kind of like a weekly or monthly ticket on the Long Island Railroad. One price, as many rides as you want. Here it's 500 bucks, and you can just go to show after show after show, morning tonight from tomorrow, August 13th to the end of the festival, August 29th. Again, the website is fringenyc.org or call 212 279 to get a festival brochure. I've got a photo from one show on the website, davesgoneby.com. It's the publicity shot for a show called Branca de Neve, which is Portuguese for Snow White. Except... This is not your ordinary, Snow White. Just look at the picture of the guy with the crown that's on my webpage, davesgoneby.com, and you would know much, much more about that show. I'm not sure you'd want to, but if you did, or you wanted to choose from dozens of other festival offerings, your best bet... In subscribing to Performing Arts Insider Theatre Magazine. For 60 years, a bible of the industry, Performing Arts Insider gives you all the scoops, all the crucial information for your theatre-going. People who book guests for TV talk shows, artistic directors choosing shows for their season, newspapers deciding what to cover and review... ...they all rely on Performing Arts Insider, as should you, when planning your trips on, off, and off-off Broadway... The cost of a one-year monthly subscription is normally $160, but if you subscribe before August 31st, it's only $128. That's 20% off. Or if you just want to try one issue of Performing Arts Insider to see if it's for you, that's on sale for $10 now through the end of this month. Call 516-295-1511, 516-295-1511, or visit totaltheater.com and click on Performing Arts Insider. Now, next week on Inside Broadway, we look at a couple of new shows getting an early jump on the season. Plus, we'll look in on Todd Robbins and his carnival knowledge, celebrating their first birthday at the Soho Playhouse. And... Speaking of milestones, happy second anniversary for the Broadway smash Hairspray, which opened August eighteenth, two 2002. The story of a big-haired girl who just wants to dance on TV. Hairspray was adapted from John Waters' breakthrough film. It was more commercial than anything he'd done before. This from the man who gave us Pink Flamingos and Female Trouble, God bless him, and it was still daring to cast Obese Transvestite Divine as a 1962 Baltimore mom. As for the musical, Harvey Fierstein opened the part on Broadway and won a Tony for it, The role is now being played by Michael McCain, one of our greatest comedy character actors in everything from Laverne and Shirley to Spinal Tap and Best in Show. He's in Hairspray till early October. Then the role goes to Bruce Villange, a comedy writer best known for zingers at the Oscars. Hairspray spritzes at the Neil Simon Theatre. For more information, make sure you comb through the pages of Performing Arts Insider, sponsor of Inside Broadway, which will rinse, lather, and return next week. We've just been Inside Broadway, from Performing Arts Insider and Totaltheater.com. Dave's Gone By listeners know I love a good play on words. But let me say a good word on plays, my plays, collected in a lovely book called Marriage, Babies, and the End of the World. Comedies that range from strange to deranged, from sad to satirical, fun to read, and unmistakably Dave. Just $20 hardcover, $12 soft. Put down that crappy bestseller and pick up some laughs. 516-295-1511 or davesgoneby.com. Italian, Italian, Chinese, pizza, diner, Italian. You'd figure Long Island would have a wider selection. At least there's a really good Indian place. The Tondor Grill. 222 Sunrise Highway in Rockville Center. Entrees of chicken, fish, lamb, vegetarian. And if you mention Dave's Gone By, you get 10% off the bill. Open daily for lunch and dinner. The Tondor Grill. 516-766-4440. Something different, something good. Dave goes off, Dave goes off, Dave goes off, Dave goes off. Welcome back to Dave's Gone By. Time for a segment called Dave Goes Off. Off on a rampage, off on a tear, off on a rant, or just off on some topics that uh, interest me and I find whimsical or fun or cute. But no, today is kind of an angry rage one. And uh, I imagine a lot of the listeners to this program are feeling the same way when they heard about the Long Island Railroad and their plans to uh, undo their current horrible deficit. Now, apparently... Despite fare hikes, just a year or so ago, the rail is about $500 million in debt. I should say it's the whole MTA, not just the uh, Long Island Railroad. But half a billion dollars in debt. Now, why the federal government couldn't take half a billion of that 87 point something billion that we're sending overseas to uh, build schools and stuff in Iraq over here to get the railroads running properly and without a deficit so i not paying any interest I would love to know but let's say just for the sake of argument that the federal government won't do that because <laughs> they won't and so the, the railroad is stuck in this position and who are they going to fo- fob it off on for their mismanagement or their inability to run the rails at whatever budget that they do have to do it even after putting together Uh, a bunch of fare hikes and a whole plan to keep the rail going just a year and a half ago on the assumption that all this extra money would be coming in. Well, you know, I was on the air when these initial fare hikes were being proposed and then coming through about 18 months back, whenever that was. And I warned them and I said, look, you're pushing fares up 25%, a full quarter. It was a huge increase. I think subway fares... People, it was at a dollar fifty. They were thinking about a dollar seventy-five, but they said no. We're going to push it all the way up to two dollars. Same for bus fares, and then Long Island Railroad fares jumped at the same time. So it really took this huge chunk out of people's income, out of their pockets, to pay for these two things at once. And this was even before gas and oil prices started skyrocketing. Skyrocketing, so when you drove your cars, or or heated your home or air-conditioned your home, you were in just as bad a shape. And I said, look, people are going to be forced to take other modes of transportation. It's not so much the rail, but the subway. People will be more inclined to walk or take a cab if it's a shorter distance, certainly, or find different ways to avoid using public transportation. It's the exact opposite of what we want public transportation for. The whole idea of it is that people keep off the road so they're not making all this air pollution from cars so that the streets are a little more navigable, navigable because they're not as crowded and full of traffic so that drunken people at night aren't getting behind the wheel but are slumped in a Long Island railroad seat and somebody else is conducting them home all these different reasons why you want to keep mass transportation reasonable aside from the basic one of people aren't rich and they don't want to be spending you know half their daily salary getting to work Okay, so I warned them, I said, you, you make, it's not, not like I talked to um, MTA Chair Peter Calico or Executive Director Katie Lapp and said, hey, um, this is what's going to happen, but I said on the air, as did many editorialists at newspapers, we all said, it's too high, it's too much, you're going to lose ridership, and the amount of riders you're going to lose is really going to offset whatever you're making by raising everybody's fares, and that's exactly what turned out to be, yes, The Long Island Railroad started grossing more money, and, and, and the MTA, and the Metro North, grossing more money because the fees were higher, but they weren't counting on two things, how many riders they lost, and also, to their credit, they made certain discount plans available, like 10 trips and weekly passes, and they already had the monthly pass, and they didn't realize how many people would be using them or the, uh, the subway 11 trips for 10 fares kind of thing. And now they're really worried about that. And that's the first thing they're going to basically do away with. All these discounts that reward people for putting more money in their bank sooner. Because don't forget, I can go to a token booth and, and buy one, well not one token, but one ride, let's say, on their metro card, And do that every single time. And it, yes, the inconvenience is on me to wait at that token booth and go and do that and make enough time before the trains uh, to to do that. But it's also good for them if I go and spend $10 or $20 or $150 a month, whatever it is, to buy all these things at once. Yes, it's more convenient for me, but it's good for them because they get a chunk of money in the bank that's earning interest for them. Now, granted, they're It's a very high level of interest uh, in banks these days, but I'll bet you the railroad has it in bank accounts that get much higher interest than you or I do. So, you know, they, they really screwed themselves both ways, because now they're saying, okay, we're going to take away your discounts, and the reasons for giving us more money up front anyway. So it doesn't work for anybody. And now the worst part is... they say that if things really come to contingencies, it's not just a question of maybe a 5% fare hike. Not just a question of removing the, um, the special discounts that they have. But also, they're going to, they're threatening to take away service on certain lines during the weekends. I'm not talking about canceling a train or two. And I'm not talking about maybe, you know, skipping one or two stops the way the train seems to to skip Valley Stream for no reason sometimes and go right to either Lindbrook or or Rockville Center on the Babylon Line. I'm talking, you know, they're thinking of eliminating from Friday late night until, I guess, early Monday morning entire lines of trains like Oyster Bay and Far Rockaway and I think a couple, maybe Hempstead or something like that, um, which is really... It's beyond crazy. It's it's downright evil. It um, penalizes everybody because nobody gets to use it. They're not getting any money. And it penalizes certainly people who need transportation to get around. It's not like the 1950s or 60s where pretty much everybody worked 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. and then came home and those were everybody's basic Monday through Friday hours. People work on the weekends. People have different jobs. People have late jobs. They need to go places. Or, on the weekends, people want to get into the city and do things. And you could say, well, everybody drives on the island. Everybody has a car. So, if you can't go to one railroad station because it's closed all weekend, then there's probably another one two or three miles up on another line that is going into the city. And, first of all, the fallacy there is the assumption that everybody has easy access to drive, or or is able to do that, and B, you're really sticking it to to people who aren't going to New York. It's one thing to have to go to another station and then just go straight in westward, but, you know, there are people who have to go from one rail line and then back up through either Valley Stream or Jamaica and then back out towards the island. And if you start taking away whole big lines on that, it's going to be almost impossible for them to, to get to where they need to go. Maybe they'll have to take... Buses, which are much, much slower and may not necessarily be either safe or, or in the right neighborhoods or get them to the right place. So it's really pretty awful. And of course, what I think will happen, the, the assumption is that the railroad will float all these horrible disaster plans in front of us. We'll cut this, 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 and this. And when they say, oh, you know what? All we're going to do is raise fares 5% and cut a few trains and um, you know, do a couple of other things and then people will you know, be happy because we're not doing something really draconian, which is really vicious and nasty. So, it's time for us to get kind of vicious and nasty about the Long Island Railroad. And we need to find ways to hurt them. And I don't mean in any kind of terrorist way or any kind of evil graffiti way. I'm not advocating that and if any... You know, police people are listening. That's not what I'm saying. I am saying that if the Long Island Railroad wants to make our lives miserable, let's do the same for them. So I'm, I'm asking for ideas from folks. So if you'll write to me, uh, if you'll call me, email me, davesdongby at aol.com, and, and just tell me ways to make the lives of the railroad people, and this includes the conductors and um, the engineers and the people up top, unhappy, without hurting them without, you know, doing anything damaging or violent. One idea that I have is a rider slowdown. We're so used to, um, you know, train slowdowns when there are uh, strike negotiations afoot, and apparently the engineers are considering a strike at this point. With all this deficit talk going on, there's still engineers begging for more money in the middle of this and may go on strike. Well, I say, you know, forget whether they do or don't start slowing down the trains or cancel trains altogether during the, the Republican Convention. We need a rider slow down. When the conductor asks for your ticket, instead of having it ready immediately or showing in your little breast pocket or something, take a good 30 seconds to find the damn thing. Go thumb-frame through your wallet, you know, in your bag, see if it's in your shoe or something, look at it, look at it a few times to make sure it's the one, you know, put it away and then take it back. Just, you know, make the conductor stand there and wait and wait. And wait, and don't be nasty about it, and don't be anything else. And, you know, if one or two people do it, it's that old Arlo Guthrie thing, it'll just be an annoyance, and he'll be like, oh, get on with it. But if hundreds and hundreds of people do this all day on the train, on all night two, they'll start to get the idea that the writers are not happy. And I realize none of this is the conductor's fault. It's not like they're making millions of dollars and then depriving all the writers and writers charging them more fares, but still, they're part of this whole system, and it will leak back to their bosses that the riders are grumbling and and doing something ugly. Um, So you don't have to be rude, but take your time, and it means that instead of taking the conductors two minutes to go up and down the car punching tickets, make it take the whole freaking ride, and and again, the rail will start losing money, because if it takes the... uh, the crew, so much time to get from person to person and person down the car, they probably won't get to everybody, which means they won't punch all tickets, which means they won't get step-up fares on people who didn't buy their tickets um, at the machines or before they got on the train. So the rail will end up hurting from that idea. And, and, you know, keep the conductors occupied. Ask them a lot of dumb questions, or not-so-dumb questions. If we are going to be paying more for less service... Make them serve us more. Um, And if you're buying tickets at the booth and they're not like monthlies, paying small change. Have it ready so the people behind you waiting to buy tickets aren't late for their trains or they're not waiting there for too long. But make the clerks count out nickels and pennies and dimes because they're nickel and diming us. Again, I want your comments on other ideas to really stick it to the Long Island Railroad. Send them to Dave's Gone By at AOL.com. You can also write me an old-fashioned letter, Dave's Gone By, P.O. Box 62, Hewlett, New York, 11557-0062. I will of course continue this and read the letters on the air and share your ideas. I'm sure you've got a lot of them, better ones than I have. Let's really do something about this because. Um uh. I have been de railroaded, by everybody. I have been set off the track to wander like a bull. Oh, I have been de railroaded, by everyone. They are liars and they are thieves and they left me to stand around like a de
1: I present the speakers, they have sent me off the track like a deep round Oh, I have been a round road, a round road, a round road, a round road. Roading.
0: Sir, what are you doing? Nothing. Are you photocopying your bot? Yeah, isn't it cool? I want to send lots of copies. Not in a public library. I know, it's so expensive here, 25 cents a cheek. No, I mean... Why not go to Hewlett Minuteman Press? Hewlett Minuteman Press? 1315 Broadway in Hewlett. They can make copies, they can laminate it, print it in a booklet, put it on a mug. My ass on a mug. Wow. Call Mm 516-569-5577. 516-569-5577. Hey, stop it. You can't copy that. But what do I put on the other side of the mug? I'm just quiz nuts about Quiznos, toasty sub-sandwiches that transcend the ordinary. That's because they're made with quality ingredients like freshly sliced premium meats, crisp vegetables, and rich melted cheeses. And don't forget that special oven-toasted bread that tastes quiz nice. Extra hungry? Try their old-fashioned hearty soups and quiz nummy desserts. Watching your weight? be Quiz Natural with fresh salads and low-carb, toasty flatbread. Remember that Quiznos is toasting Hewlett, Long Island with a new store at 1320 Broadway right next to the Duane Reed. Dave's Gone By listeners get 10% off, assuming you identify yourself as a Dave's Gone By listener. Tell owner Ken you want something toasty-tasty. He's scary-looking, but he's quiz-neighborly and happy to serve you with the extraordinary taste of Quiznos. 1320 Broadway in Hewlett, where everything is mmm-toasty.
1: Wake up the
0: My radio's on. The news is all bad, but it's good for a laugh. Welcome back to Dave's Gone By on this Thursday, August 12, 2004. Time for the News Gone By, a look at events of the past week from a loco motivated perspective. We begin with the travel news. Reuters reports that the United Kingdom's travel officials have forbidden smiling in passport photos. An open-mouthed grin apparently confuses security cameras and hinders authenticating identity. Personally, I think the law is well-meaning, but pointless. After all, with massive flight delays, price hikes in airfares, machine gun-toting guards at the airports, and fears of another 9-11, when was the last time anybody smiled at an airport? And speaking of Great Britain, health concerns surfaced this week across the pond over reports of low-level traces of Prozac in the country's drinking water. Potentially toxic in high doses, the drug can also affect reproduction and brain functioning. Asked about the dangers of having Prozac in the national water supply, a government spokesman said, basically, I feel good about it. Yeah, sometimes you have to accept the things you can't change and just roll with them, you know? Someone who could have used a little Prozac is Claire Moffat, a 37-year-old woman from Michigan. She was suffering from postpartum depression, so she took a blanket and suffocated her five-week-old daughter. Then she killed herself by asphyxiation, putting a plastic bag over her head. Police found her on the bed and the baby's body on the couch. Here's the real-life punchline. This past spring, Claire Moffat was honored by the school district of East Detroit as Teacher of the Year. One hopes her teaching was of the do-as-I-say variety. As if Claire was despondent over losing her figure after pregnancy, a relative said she always stayed pretty, but at the end, she was breathtaking. Yes! Yes, yes, it's the careless and airless sound of the comedy bell. The bell that signals the day has gone by. Bad pun of the week. Call the Deoxygen Network. Alert the Asphyxiation Association. Tell the Smother Brothers. The comedy bell rings whenever we make a plan on words so bad. Tying a plastic bag around your own head actually seems like a viable alternative to hearing it. But you needn't do anything so drastic. Eastern philosophy teaches us the best way to counter something negative, even something as hideous and nauseating as the bad pun of the week, is to do something positive. Hence, the comedy bell, a call to arms, a call to fight bad puns with good advertising. Get that bad taste out of listeners' ears with your honest funny and informative commercial telling everyone about your product event or service listeners all over long island all across the u.s. via the internet tune in every week to hear me make these excruciating jokes play music talk to guests i have their attention so can you because advertising on dave's gone by works on three principles repetition humor, and repetition. It's work for the Tondra Grill, it's work for Hewlett Minuteman Press, and it will be working for our brand new sponsor, Quiznos of Hewlett. They all know that Dave's Gone By is a great place to advertise, inexpensive, unique, and fun. See the rate card at www.davesgoneby.com or call 516-295-1511 for all the information. 516-295-1511 ads can be anything from 30 seconds to 2 minutes, or you can sponsor a segment or get added value by having a banner on the Dave's Gone By website, or being mentioned on our weekly emails that go to more than 1,500 humans just like you. Five one six two nine five fifteen eleven, or email davesgoneby at AOL.com Make something good come of the bad pun of the week. Advertise on Dave's Gone By. Don't be good. Be ponderful. Continuing the news gone by, here's one from the New York Post's Weird But True column. Perhaps the only true column they have. This is great. 89-year-old George Lott, an Alzheimer's patient, was arrested for shoplifting in Venice, Florida. Police nabbed him when he walked out of the store with a box of diarrhea medicine in his pocket. The policeman said, "...it's a good thing we caught him before he started to run." Also from Weird But True, Margie Clark of McAllister, Oklahoma, is passing down a unique heirloom to her kids. It's not jewelry, it's not silverware, it's not a toy collection. It's a shriveled, shrunken, petrified orange. An orange that was given by Margie's father to his sister back in 1921 and packed away in a trunk ever since. Miss Clark says she's never heard of an old, desiccated fruit surviving this long, unless, of course, you count Merv Griffin. A less well-known senior citizen, Elsie Weiss of Munheim, Germany, had an embarrassing encounter with police recently. Ms. Weiss, age 71, couldn't sleep at night because of a noisy radio being played on her block. The cops came, and they quickly realized that the racket was coming from her own radio. She had left it blaring in her backyard. In related news, President Bush is debating whether to appear at this month's Republican convention because he says New York has really been unsafe under the current administration's incompetence. In entertainment news, get well soon to Ronald Isley, 63-year-old lead singer of the Isley Brothers. He suffered a stroke last Friday. He's expected to recover, but for now, it's pretty scary, The only thing he's able to do is twist and shout. In celebrity news, L.A. burglars broke into the house of sisters Paris and Nikki Hilton. The thieves took thousands of dollars in cash and jewelry from the Winsome Twosome. Another source told Us Magazine the crooks also stole a laptop computer, photographs, and videotapes. The latter is especially damaging, since the videos contain absolutely shocking footage of Paris Hilton as we've never seen her before. Intelligent, demure, and without a hint of slut. Sports news! Because of a financial dispute with Cablevision's MSG network, Time Warner Cable has begun blacking out broadcasts of New York Met games. MSG leases the games to Time Warner, but they want more money for doing so. Time Warner subscribers say they don't care about the dispute, they just want what they're paying for. Cablevision subscribers say, wait a minute, we've seen the Mets play since the All-Star break, and we won Time Warner. Speaking of the Mets, did you hear about Tom Glavin? He's one of the team's best but unluckiest pitchers, and on Tuesday, his luck was even worse off the field. Poor guy was taking a taxi from LaGuardia Airport to Shea Stadium when the cab collided with an SUV. Not only did Glavin meet stitches in his lower lip, but the accident knocked out his two front teeth. The irony is that before choosing a career in baseball, Glavin was a fourth-round draft pick by the NHL's Los Angeles Kings. Asked why he picked baseball over hockey, Glavin said, and this is a quote, he said this years ago, quote, I had all my own teeth and I wanted to keep it that way, unquote. As I said, poor guy, Surprisingly, the Mets have decided not to sue the cab driver. In fact, they're drafting him next season, and why not? He hits hard, he was clocked at 90 miles an hour, and unlike pretty much every other member of the team, he's uninjured. More sports mishaps as tragedy strikes the Greek Olympic judo team. Apparently one athlete got his hand stuck in another one's ass. No, I'm I'm just kidding. It was a lover's quarrel between a team member and her boyfriend. The fight, apparently over who would get to play solitaire on their computer, escalated and escalated until the girl hurled herself off the apartment balcony. Ravaged by despair, two days later, her boyfriend hurled himself off the same spot. The hysterical part is that they're both still alive. She's got multiple fractures to her head and body. He's got contusions all over his head and back. The boyfriend had been staying with his grandparents, and when the Associated Press came to interview his grandfather about the incident, the old man said, quote, "...leave me in my misery," unquote, then he threw himself over the balcony. No, I'm kidding. Uh, Olympic officials have secured the area and roped off the balcony. They say suicide leaps from that spot are completely unacceptable, unless, of course, the jump is made at a particular height, with an approved airspeed velocity, a three-point mid-air turn, and perfect headfirst landing. Birthplaces of famous people, Broadway theaters, architectural marvels, These are all the usual edifices that get designated for national preservation. But, here's a new one. Courtesy of the LA Times, last Friday, California's Historical Resources Commission designated an eight-story parking garage as an historical landmark. They called it, quote, a rare early example of a parking garage, unquote. What's even funnier is that the structure was built in 1924 to ease crowding downtown. Recently, it was turned into an apartment complex, and the people living there are complaining that there isn't enough parking. Asked if further garages would be on the government's preservation list, a spokesman said no, but they would be glad to consider it as soon as they finished the paperwork on their next exciting landmarks, six gas station bathrooms, and a Passaic OTB. Finally, in the news gone by, sad news from the music world, Last Friday, funkmeister Rick James died in his sleep at age 56. James was a pacemaker-wearing, diabetic, former coke fiend and stroke victim with an artificial hip. Cause of death? I swear to God. Natural causes. I don't know, I guess in the case of someone like Rick James, finding a sharpened 12-inch crack pipe jammed through his aorta and dripping with applesauce would still fit under the category of Natural causes. James's most famous song was, of course, Super Freak, and he came up with the bass line for M.C. Hammer's hit, You Can't Touch This, but he was just as well known for his hysterically decadent lifestyle. Let's just say that Richard Pryor looked like Bill Moyers compared to him. In 1991, James was arrested for burning a young woman with a hot pipe during a coke binge, a year later, he was assaulted. Uh, he assaulted another young lady in a hotel room, which landed him in jail for two years. Now, ironically, that very indulgence in excess was giving James something of a renaissance recently, thanks to comedian Dave Chappelle. Chappelle's parody of James enticed TV viewers to check out the real thing. Still, James had his biggest success in the 1980s until he clashed with Motown over the explicitness of his lyrics. James told the Associated Press at the time, They never totally understood where I was trying to come from with my music, what I was trying to do. For ten years, it was a constant battle with me trying to acquaint them with what I wanted to say and how I wanted to say it. It's the classic artist's argument against the corporate machine. But, now listen, here are some actual titles of songs by Rick James. Love Gun give it to me, baby, fire and desire, doing it, one, two, three, her, you, and me, and so soft, so wet, okay, now, the folks at Motown couldn't figure out what Rick James was trying to say, I could be wrong here, but I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that what Rick James was, was trying to say was, excuse me, WGBB, yeah, this is Dave, who's this? The FCC? Yeah, I was just going to say what Rick James was really. What? Oh, well, well, what if I don't mention specific positions? Uh-huh. Uh huh. Or lubricants? I. Well, wait, what about dildos or French ticklers and anal. No, no, huh? Oh, so, um. Well, donkey punching is completely out of. Okay. I'll come up with something. Oh, thanks for calling. I, I got to get back on the air. Okay. Bye. Hey folks, sorry about the interruption. Uh, as I was about to say, it's clear from his titles and song lyrics that what Rick James was really saying with his music was don't drink, don't smoke, stay a virgin. And that's the news gone by for August twelfth, two 2004. Please send your comments, opinions, and Prozac water to Days Gone By, P.O. Box 62, Hewlett, New York, 11557-0062, that's Dave's Gone By, Box 62, Hewlett, New York, 11557-0062. If it's too much trouble to write an old-fashioned letter, and let's face it, if you're like me, you're the kind of lazy, pathetic blob for whom it is too much trouble to write an old-fashioned letter. But that's why there's email. Dave's Gone By at AOL.com. Dave's Gone By, no apostrophe, at AOL.com. Just write the message, point and click. Now, if you're too lazy to do that, um, just think of a message. Keep it in your brain, and then mentally teleport it to me. You know, I go to my website first, davesgoneby.com, scroll to any picture of me, there are several, and just stare at the picture. Stare at my face for minutes and hours on end, and then mentally transmit your message. I promise to answer all your mental queries with a mental message back. So send me your ideas, your suggestions, your wish list for guests. We reserve the right to read your thoughts on the air, name withheld upon request. So, write to me, type to me, think to me, but please, no diarrhea medicine, I'm just wiped out.
1: And that was new, if that was new, that was very, very, very special news. Oh my God, this is terrible. What?
0: There are 168 hours in a week, but Dave's Gone By is only one hour long. I know. I'm just on Thursday night. That's so. not enough! Well, why don't you get my CDs? CDs? All my complete shows are on compact disc. $14 a piece or less if you buy a bunch. Just go to davesgoneby.com. Fully packaged, and they make a nice gift, too. Well, my depression is cleared. Great. But not my psychosis. What chicken is this? Welcome back to Dave's Gone By on this August 12th, 55 years ago today, was the birth of singer and songwriter and guitarist Mark Knopfler. Born in Glasgow, August 12th, 1949, Knopfler kicked around as a teacher and journalist before devoting himself completely to music. In fact, the last story he wrote for the Yorkshire Evening Post, just by sheer coincidence, was on the death of Jimi Hendrix. Anyway, in 1977, Mark and his brother David were sharing an apartment with bass player John Illsley. They added drummer Pick Withers and Dire Straits was born within a year. They had gotten the record deal and released their first LP, including the big radio hit Sultan's Swing. Brothers in Arms is arguably their most lasting work. It's the one with Money for Nothing, So Far Away, and Walk of Life. The band never quite matched it, and they suffered all the usual internal strife rock bands usually have. So, after a few personnel changes and a couple more albums, Dire Straits dissolved. But by then, Mark Knopfler was busy doing a zillion solo projects, including soundtracks to movies like Local Hero and The Princess Bride. Some interesting things about Knopfler. He's left-handed, but he plays right-handed. His gentle and unmistakable style comes from finger-picking on an electric guitar, something usually done on acoustic. Knopfler is Jewish, married to his third wife, and has four kids, including twin sons from a previous marriage. His last album was the well-received The Ragpicker's Daughter, and he's readying his next Shangri-La for release in a couple of weeks. So we'll close the show with some Mark music, but first, bunch of thank yous to get through. First of all, thank you to a fellow toiler in the Radio Gardens, WFMU DJ Glenn Jones. I've mentioned him before. He has a Sunday afternoon show where he plays a wide mix of rock and soul music, He also banters with his co-host X-Ray Burns, very funny stuff, and Jonesy is the guy who broke the world record, temporarily, for staying on the air as a DJ. He did a marathon of a hundred straight hours. The Guinness people confirmed it. Everybody could hear it. They even had a webcam. Unfortunately, soon after he broke the record, somebody else broke his record, and they ended up getting into the next Guinness Book instead of Jonesy, but it was a great publicity stunt for the station and for Glenn, who has given me advice and encouragement about my show. He's also promised to be a guest sometime soon when we can coordinate our schedules. Anyway, Jonesy emailed me to say, quote, I am at the Jersey Shore, where I like to play with an old to loop transistor. He's a real radio nut from the old school. I pulled your show in Monday night. It was a rerun from New Year's Eve, which is true. Engineer Joe Salzone had some airtime to fill on the station this past Monday, so he put on a Dave's Gone By from January, for which I thank him most profusely. So, Josie says, pulled your show in Monday night. Very impressive. Great radio talker, you are quite engaging on the air. Unquote. What can I say? A compliment from Josie. That's like a cabinet maker getting kudos from the head of the Carpenters Union. I thank you, Glenn, and let's get you on the air soon. Another email this week from my pal Murdoch, who's on the Dave's Gone By email list. That's where once a week we send out a funny press release letting you know what will be on upcoming shows. If you want to be on it, just email me, davesgongby at AOL.com, and we'll pop your name right on. Anyway, Murdoch writes, quote, Jesus, you are one funny son of a biatch. I am going to have to call Apple next week to re- to figure out how to stream your show on the web, unquote. Well, yeah, I hope you do, because if you like the emails, I think you'll get a kick out of the show. And you really can listen on the internet, live streaming Just go to davesgoneby.com and click the button that reads Listen Live. That brings you to the radio station, which brings you to the audio page, which brings you to the show. Not archived, you have to listen live in real time Thursday nights at 7, but if you can't get it on your radio, at least you can hear it another way. And there's no other way to thank my wife, Joyce, for all her empathy and warmth and support than to say I love you. thank goodness, there's a bunch of other ways to thank engineers Tom and Trevor and Dennis for their help. And thank you to our sponsors, the Tondor Grill, savory Indian food in Rockville Center, just across from the dreaded Long Island Railroad. I need an evil noise for that now. Something ominous whenever I say the phrase, Long Island Railroad. I'll work on that. Anyway, check the menu at tondorgrill.com, not tandoori. Tondor, leave off the last I for Indianlicious, and Hewlett Minuteman Press for all your copying, printing, binding, gift-giving, and non-invasive surgical needs, 1315 Broadway in Hewlett, and greetings, salutations, and salivations to our brand new, wonderful sponsor, Quiznos Subs of Hewlett, basically across the street from Minuteman, absolutely yummy, toasty sandwiches and soups. Ken, the owner, is really trying to make it a neighborhood spot with open mic nights and student specials. And remember, all three of these places, Quiznos, Minuteman, and Tondra Grill, will give you 10% off if you mention Dave's Gone By. Speaking of mentioning Dave's Gone By, some other programs on this radio station kind enough to do that include The Instrumental Invasion, Smooth Jazz, 9 to 10 p.m. on Tuesdays, WGBB Tonight, with Larry Davidson, Thursdays at 6, just an hour before my show. Long Island's Dating, with Bonnie D. Graham, Friday nights at 6. The Saturday Night Rock Block, with Mr. Redman, getting musical at 7.30. And Comedy, with Mikey and Jimmy at 9. And Sunday Night, of course, Joe Salzone, with Your World at 7 p.m. Thanks again, Joe, for playing those reruns of Dave's Gone By last week. I really appreciate getting the extra exposure. I expose myself, but, well, there's a Christian radio station across the hall, and I don't want them all fainting, or pointing and laughing. But make sure you point your radio dial to laughter again next Thursday, April 19th, at 7 o'clock on WGBV. I'll be back for the 90th edition of Dave's Gone By. Until then, don't miss your days going by. I'm not going to pay a lot for this knoppler. This is Dave Lefkowitz. Good night. Why worry? And gone by.
1: Hey.